we're finishing up the Gospel of Mark, which we started back in August. 17 weeks through this incredible gospel, this fast-paced gospel that has taken us from the baptism of Jesus to today, his ascension, his resurrection and ascension. For the last two weeks, in Mark 14 and 15, we've seen the suffering of the king. We've seen the crucifixion of him and his burial. Last week, we ended with the crucified Messiah in the tomb. This week, we're looking at his resurrection, the resurrected Messiah. I want to remind you, the last two weeks, we began in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3, and 5, 3 to 5. And this is where Paul, as he's writing to this church that has all of these problems, he said, I, I preached to you, I came to you, and I preached to you that which was of first importance, that Jesus would suffer, that he would die according to the scriptures, that he would be buried and that he would be raised according to the scriptures. Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians 15 to argue for the validity of the resurrection. He goes so far as to say in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. In Mark 16, the question is raised. Do you believe that Jesus was truly raised from the dead? Is the resurrection true? Mark has been building the case since the first verse of chapter 1. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's been building the case that he truly is the Son of God. And it is very clear in the first eight verses of chapter 16 that Mark truly believed that Jesus was raised from the dead. He has eyewitnesses who saw where Jesus was crucified, buried, and then went back to that same tomb and saw his body gone. There's an angel in the tomb declaring that Jesus has been raised. He's not here. He's risen. In this gospel, we've seen Jesus affirm that he is the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Christ, the King. He is worthy to be followed and he's, and he's worthy to lay our lives down for. Jesus predicted his death and resurrection three times in chapters 8 to 10. We saw them a month ago where Jesus is saying, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. Today in chapter 16, we see this final prediction come to pass just as he said it would. If the resurrection is true, one, I read one story about a, about a friend, an, an atheist friend, talking to this pastor, and he didn't believe the resurrection was true, but his conclusions were true. If the resurrection is true, this is what he came to. There is a God. Jesus is that God. The Bible is true. 
Heaven and hell are real, and Jesus makes the difference whether you go to one or the other. Everything hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If the resurrection is not true, then we're fools. Our faith is worthless, and all of us sitting here who claim to follow Jesus are still dead in our sins. But the resurrection is true. And Mark 16 today is going to show us that the resurrection changes everything. The resurrection changes everything. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to to grab one in front of you. We're going to be on page 802 as we wrap up the Gospel of Mark. We're going to really zoom in on the first eight verses. I'll share why um, towards the end of the sermon. But you'll see a a little subscript there that tells you that 9 to 20 is not in the earliest manuscripts. But I want to read verses 1 through 8, and then I want to pray for us. Remember, Jesus is in the tomb as we wrap up verse 15, or chapter 15. And then chapter 16, verse 1 says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they may, might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you'll see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let's pray. Father, now as we, as we come to this final chapter in this gospel, give us faith to believe. Oh God, give us, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. May, may we truly grasp the incredible power on display in the resurrection of Christ. Father, as we, as we grasp this, God, would it change our lives? Father, we want to be changed. We, we don't want to stay where we are. We want, to, we want to look more like Jesus. We want this world to look more like your kingdom. So God, we pray that you would do a work in our lives right now by your spirit. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Just really three questions I want to ask revolving or around this text today. The first question is, did the resurrection really happen? Did the resurrection really happen? The scene is set for us. It's, it's after the Sabbath, which was on that Saturday. And the ladies are making their way to the tomb on Sunday morning. These are the same ladies that were, that were listed in 1541 and 47, 
that saw Jesus crucified? He really died? Pilate even sent someone to ask, hey, did Jesus really die that quickly? And he affirmed it. These are the same ladies that saw where Joseph of Arimathea put Jesus' body in that tomb and then rolled the stone in front of it. And they are going this Sunday morning to anoint the body of Jesus. But on the way, as, as you heard me read just a few minutes ago, they're having this conversation. All right, so when we get there, ladies, how are we going to move that stone? Because Mark tells us it's, it's large. I don't know how large it is. Mark just says it was a large stone. But so they're on their way. And as they, I can, I can imagine as they crest the hill, right? They're kind of just standing there going, wow, the stone's gone. What's going on? Would you have went into the tomb? Just, just asking, like, stone's gone. Um, but they were hoping somebody would be there to help out. But the stone is gone. And it says they enter the tomb. And they find a young man sitting in a white robe. The ladies are startled. It says they're alarmed by what's going on. But the man speaks. And this is what he says. He says, don't, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. Really? Right? Like, like I'm, just, I'm thinking about these ladies right there. Three ladies walking into a tomb. And the guy says, don't be alarmed. They're in the tomb of Jesus, yet he isn't there. But you're there, young man. The, the other gospels actually tell us that this is an angel who appears like lightning and his clothes are white as snow. Don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. No, no, of course they're alarmed, right? Everything is wrong with this picture. The, the stone is gone. Jesus' body is gone. And there's a, a, a man that's, that's like lightning with his, with his robes as white as snow. Don't be alarmed. Why? Why? You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. That's right, where's his body? <laughs> right? Hey, yes, we're seeking Jesus. And yes, he's the one from Nazareth. He was crucified. We know him and we're looking for him. He died on a cross a few days ago. We were eyewitnesses of it. We remembered him exhaling and breathing out with a loud voice and crying out, it is finished. In him giving up his, his spirit, dying on the cross. We remember we remember his, his, his body being pierced by a spear and blood and water pouring out. We remember, where is he? You seek Jesus of Nazareth. He was crucified. The, the angel identifies him correctly as, as the one from Nazareth, as the one who's crucified. Yet then the good news comes. Don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, the one who was crucified. And then these good these Good news words come. He is risen. He is not here. He is risen. He is not here. 
What? What? Dead, dead people don't come back to life. Dead, dead people stay dead. They stay in the grave. That's why we were coming to anoint his body. I want you to think for a minute what type of emotion is going through the minds of these women. They have, they've got the anointing oil. They, they've got this, all of this material to go and anoint the body of Jesus. And they get to the tomb where they're expecting to do a task, and they find it empty. They find an angel saying, he is not here. He is risen. What thoughts went through their minds? Shock, awe, maybe a remembrance of Jesus' words. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. But on the third day, I'm going to rise from the dead. In the disciples' day and in our day, the resurrection is rejected. It's rejected. No, this can't happen, right? The supernatural is rejected. No, a dead person cannot rise from the grave. I want us to just take a little aside here and think about this question. Is the resurrection true? Did it really happen? There's a few different theories that people have put out there to discount the resurrection. Some of these you're going to be familiar with. Some of these maybe not. One is the swoon theory. We mentioned it last week. Jesus wasn't really dead. He just fainted. And then his body was put in a tomb. Impossible. Impossible. The centurions, the soldiers were experts at killing people. Experts. If, if, the, the, if the crucifixion didn't kill the person, they made sure he was dead by breaking his legs, and then the person would suffocate. They didn't do that to Jesus. They knew he was dead. They pierced him with a spear. That's the swoon theory. The spirit theory. Jesus returned in a spirit form instead of a physical resurrection. So... Probably that has to be lumped in with the wrong tomb theory, which we see as well. These ladies were mistaken on what tomb Jesus was buried in. I don't find that convincing either. They were eyewitnesses of the crucifixion. They were eyewitnesses of the tomb, and they went back to the tomb just in two, two, two and a half days. Right? The hallucination theory. This one's, this one's fascinating. The hallucination theory. This one kind of combines an hallucination that the disciples in the 500 actually saw Jesus, but it was because before Jesus was crucified, he had them in a hypnotic state where, like, when he, yeah, when they, when they saw this hallucination, they were actually um, hypnotized. That one's, that one's interesting. The stolen body theory that someone came and stole the body of Jesus. Remember, that's what the Jews told them to say because they knew something was different. The, the wrong tomb theory, the mistaken identity theory, they mistook someone else for Jesus. Now, this guy looks like Jesus. He looks like that or, you know. The twin theory. I like this one. I like this one. Jesus had a twin that... They were separated at birth, and then he came back on the scene post-crucifixion. The Muslim theory, 
God provided a substitute, which they say was Judas or someone else, and Jesus didn't really die on a cross, so if he didn't die, he could show back up. None of these are convincing. The evidences for the resurrection far outweigh the different theories. Dr. Aiken, in his commentary, he lists 14 evidences. I'm not going to list all of them here. But here are a few. I want you to just think about this for a second. The first one, and I still, this one to me is, is probably the most convincing. The radical change in the disciples' lives. You have these disciples that abandon Jesus when he's, when he's arrested. You have Peter denying Jesus, yet something happens that gives them boldness to die for a dead man if he's really dead. But if he's alive, it makes sense that they would be bold. It makes sense that they would be willing to die because they know they're not dying for a lie. They're dying for something that matters. Their lives were radically changed. Two, there is an empty tomb and discarded clothes. Three, this one's pretty neat as well, knowing the context. The women saw the empty tomb first. The women are the first eyewitnesses to the resurrection. And the reason this, the reason this is such a good evidence for the resurrection is this right here. Listen to this quote. Unless women were actually present at the tomb, the early church would scarcely have placed them there since Judaism did not accept the testimony of women. The testimony of women is, <clears throat> however, however, entirely in character with the divine economy. Those whose testimony is dis discounted in human society are the first to be included in the divine society. This is amazing that this, these are the eyewitnesses. They're women. They wouldn't even hold up in court. Yet our, our gospels say these were the first. They went and told the disciples. Jesus also appeared, the post-resurrection appearances. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us that he appeared to the 11. He appeared to me. He, he appeared to more than 500 people. 500 people do not have the same hallucination. The Jewish leaders and the Romans couldn't disprove it. Oh, they tried. They tried to pay off the centurions, the soldiers. They tried, yet they could not. And then the reliable eyewitness documents. Our Gospels, we have over 5,600 manuscripts of these Gospels. They're reliable. They're documents that are trustworthy. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3 that it's God-inspired, it's God-breathed. And it's useful for everything to bring us to maturity. The evidences are clear. Did the resurrection happen? Yes, the resurrection happened. The, the, the angel here, he goes on and he says, See the place where they laid him. Unmistakable evidence. He isn't there. His body's gone. There's proof. Just look. Fifth, this is what the angel says. He says, go and tell. Go and tell. The resurrection demands a response. They are to go and tell the disciples and Peter. He's going to meet them in Galilee like he said he would in 1428. Peter is singled out here 
He said, this is, this is incredible. He said, but go tell his disciples and Peter. And Peter, yes, Peter was the leader of these disciples, but he's also the one who denied Jesus before he was crucified. What grace and mercy is being poured out on this man? In John, we see Jesus specifically target Peter and go up to him and say, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Do you love me? Yes. Peter is restored. Even in denying Jesus, Peter is restored. Oh, that we would experience this grace and mercy every time we sin against Jesus. That we would go to him quickly and confess our sins, believing that he is faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the angel tells these ladies, don't be alarmed. Jesus isn't here. He's risen. See where he was laid. Go and tell. Go and tell. And then in verse 8, we see how they respond. They flee. They flee. They're trembling. They're astonished. And they're silent, for they were afraid. Fear came over them. Yet we know that fear didn't continue in their lives. We know from the other Gospels that this fear was temporary, that this fear is a natural response to Jesus' miracles in the Gospel of Mark. These women did not remain silent, but went and told the disciples who would then go and see. Again, Mark wraps up, many believe, with verse 8, with these ladies fleeing the scene, fearful, silent, and it begs the question, begs the question, what, what happened? What's going on? Is this the right response to the resurrection? We're going to get there in a few minutes, but I want to ask another question about the resurrection before we go there. Why does it matter that Jesus was resurrected? Let's think theologically. Let's think in accordance to salvation. Let's think, why does it matter? What's the big deal that Jesus was resurrected? First off, it verifies all the claims he made. It affirms that he truly is the Son of God. And if he is the resurrected Son of God, then he's worthy of our worship. Romans 1.4 talks about the resurrection of Jesus. As Paul opens up this incredible book of theology, this letter to the, book, to the Romans. And he says that, that actually when Jesus was resurrected, he was, he was declared in power. By the Spirit. Like this is, this is good news for us. That it's God's power on display in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what Paul writes in verse 4. And was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. It's the affirmation that he is the Son of God. But in the resurrection as well, salvation is accomplished. 
Yes, on the cross, Jesus took our sin. He took the wrath. But in the resurrection, salvation is truly accomplished for us. Because Jesus is victorious over death. He's victorious over sin. He's victorious over Satan. In the resurrection, why does it matter? There's a future hope of our resurrected bodies. What great hope is this? This is Paul's argument in 1 Corinthians 15. Jesus has been resurrected and we will follow. This is good news for us. I've, I've had the, the privilege of talking with several of our members about death. And saying, I know it's coming, but there's hope. Because they know they're not going to stay in the grave. They know they're going to have resurrected bodies one day. All of us have a future hope that our bodies will be resurrected. That we will spend eternity with God. He will be our God and we will be his people. There will be no sin. We will live in perfection for eternity. Death's sting is taken away. The stinger of death is ripped out. Because Christ has defeated the grave. That's what we sang about. Come behold the, the wondrous mystery. This is good news. Paul even taunts death in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, oh death, where is your sting? It doesn't exist anymore because Christ has been raised from the dead. He is victorious. Why does, the, why does it matter that Jesus was resurrected? What have we to fear now? What have we to fear? Nothing. Nothing. Christ has defeated everything. He gives us boldness. He gives us confidence. There is no fear for those who follow Christ. That's why the martyrs of old could be burned at the stake and not recant the faith. This is, this is why the resurrection matters. Salvation has been accomplished in Christ. This is where I want us to finish our time today. This final question. How does the resurrection change our lives? How does the resurrection change our lives? Listen to this. Listen to this quote. The announcement of Jesus' resurrection is not an end in itself but the basis for action, which for the women is the delivery of an urgent message and for the disciples to whom that message is sent, a journey to Galilee in preparation for the promised meeting with Jesus. Life, discipleship, and the cause of the kingdom of God must go on. We can go and experience the empty tomb where Jesus once was and we can hear the proclamation that he is risen and gone before us. But it still lies in our hands as to how we will respond to such evidence. Is the visual evidence enough? Is the oral testimony enough to convince, convict, and convert us? Or do we as well need to have an encounter with the risen Lord? I would suggest that Mark is telling us that the empty tomb and the oral witnesses are necessary, but by themselves are insufficient to create faith. A real encounter with the divine is required. Have you met the resurrected Jesus? Have you put your trust in him? 
As we've seen the, the past few weeks, Jesus suffered and died for our sins. He took the full wrath of God upon himself. He was raised from the dead, showing he is the Son of God. He defeated death, sin, and Satan. And Paul tells us in Romans 10 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. That's the call. How does the resurrection change our lives? It gives you life. It gives you abundant life in Christ Jesus. The resurrection is what we confess, is what we believe. And I encourage you today, I I call you today, if you want to follow Jesus, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. If you want to do that, if you want to follow Christ, I encourage you to to come and, and talk with me or talk with someone you came with that you know has a real genuine relationship with Christ Jesus. Jesus was raised from the dead. How are you going to respond? As believers, the resurrection changes everything in our lives. We see this from the disciples who were radically changed, from the apostle Paul who was a persecutor of the church, but now is a proclaimer of the gospel. So how should our lives change? In verses 9 to 20, although many scholars say it's not original to Mark, and they say external and internal evidence really concludes that 16, 9 to 20 is not the original ending of Mark, but, later, but rather a later addition to the gospel. The longer, the longer ending is a patchwork of resurrection appearances taken from the other three gospels, The chief theme, which you'll see as we read 9 to 20, is the unbelief of the disciples. We see it in 11, 13, 14, and 16. Let's read 9 to 20 real quick, and we're going to draw out a a couple of uh, applications for, for us. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive... And had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking into the country. And they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven disciples as they were reclining at table. And he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart. Because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my my name. They will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and set down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. Although this ending is not original, it's not found in our earliest manuscripts of the Gospel of Mark, it pulls from the other Gospels, showing the desire of Jesus for his disciples. He tells Mary, and this is from John 20, to go and tell. He tells the two on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24, to go and tell. 
He gives the 11 the great commission in Matthew 28 to go and tell. And then he ascends into heaven in Acts 1. All this is a compilation of those other gospels brought in. It doesn't contradict anything. Even the the accompanying signs. Casting out demons, we see this in Acts. Speaking in tongues, we see this in Acts. Picking up serpents with their hands. Well, Paul didn't pick him up, but he got bit by a serpent. And he was fine. Drinking deadly poison. I don't know where that one is. It will not hurt them. They'll lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. We see this, right? Accompanying signs follow the disciples. Verse 20 says they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. We see this in the book of Acts and we've seen it the past 2,000 years after Jesus. Jesus is with us as we go and proclaim the message. The resurrection changes everything. It changes the way we speak, the way we act, the way we think. It changes the way we think about our resources and our money, our money, how we spend money, how we save money, how we give away our money. The way we use our resources and the money that God has blessed us with should be radically different than the world, should look different. Our relationships, oh, it changes. It changes the friends we have. It changes how we deal with parents and children, and family. It changes the way we date. It changes the way we marry. The way we serve and love those around us should be radically different than the world. We parent differently. We treat our aging parents differently. We value life from the womb to the tomb. It changes how we think about the future. Our jobs where we're going to live if we're going to retire. It changes the way we think about death in the future. It it radically changes our desires, our passions, our values. From, From kids to students to singles to husbands, wives, dads, moms, widows, The gospel changes the way we do things. The resurrection changes the way we process things. The resurrection causes us to leverage our life for the kingdom of God. That's what it does. So as you graduate, students, where are you going to go? Where are you going to get a job? Get a job where you can leverage your life for the gospel. Get a job, go somewhere, devote two, three years to something that matters. Don't just take a random job somewhere. Go somewhere that matters. Go go help plant a church. Go overseas and give two years in mission work. The resurrection changes everything. It makes us bold in our workspaces. It makes us bold in our neighborhoods. It makes us bold in this community. It gives us a great boldness for the mission of God to go and proclaim this good news. That Christ is worthy. He's worthy of worship. He's worthy of the worship 
of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. As our, as our band comes back up to lead us in our final song, as we conclude our journey through Mark, the resurrection verifies the truthfulness of this book. It verifies the deity of Jesus. On this journey to follow Jesus, we've constantly been asking this question, who is Jesus? The resurrection gives us the proof to believe all that we've seen over the past 17 weeks. That Jesus is the Son of God, that He is the beloved Son, that He is the King, that He is the one with authority over demons, diseases, and death, that He is the true bread, that He's the Christ, that He's the rejected, crucified, and resurrected Messiah, that He is the King who will return one day. And in believing this, our lives are changed. Our lives are changed.